0: Let's get into it today. We started our uh we're in the Fruit Matters series and if you know if you've been following along with us at all, you'll know that uh we're in uh subject number 3. I'm not going to say lesson number 3 because we're in lesson number 4. We're in we're in subject number 3 in our Fruit Matters series because I don't know some of these sub some of these may be longer than a week. Some may be uh, combined into one week uh as the Lord leads. However, we we got we we we're in subject number 3 which is love. And if you were a part about last week, we talked about how everything shifted in John thirteen that John thirteen when Jesus gathered his disciples together uh, and it 's important because we 're about to celebrate the week that this t- took place that will that week uh, is is coming up here in uh next week um, and Jesus is gathering his disciples around uh, in this scene we talked about it i 'm not going to go back through it again. Uh, But in John 13, he gives us a new command. And this new command was the foundation for everything. And that new command was to love one another, which that part wasn't new, but love one another, comma, as I, Jesus, have loved you. That was the change, is that he put a new standard on what truly loving one another is. Because let's, okay, let's go back to the two commandments that most people will quote um, that Jesus even himself quoted. And that was to love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like, namely this, to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus took both of those and combined it and really gave us a command that trumped all of it. And actually you can't do the the new command without really applying the old command so it wasn't like jesus was saying okay you don't have to do that anymore he was saying we're going to condense it into something very simple for you to know and that is to love one another okay how do i do that i gotta love okay well that's easy because if i say to you love your neighbor but i don't put a standard on that love then we all can love in our own way however we feel to love or how we however we choose to love and therefore It's not a big deal because I can love this way and you can love that way and they can love that way. And we're all loving, right? But Jesus knew that man is always looking for loopholes. One of the things we talked about last week, two weeks ago in the introduction, and we actually have it today as well. If you get today's notes, it's in there as well. And that is, is that Jesus's new command was loophole free, right? Right? Man is always looking for loopholes. We're always looking for a way to shortcut, make things easier, make things simple, find a way to kind of get around certain things, right? That's how we're built in our nature. But Jesus' new command had no loopholes. He said, look, okay, love one another. Got it. I can do that. Wait a minute. The standard of love is this love as I have loved you. That completely changed everything. When you say love as I have loved you, when Jesus Christ becomes the standard of everything, that changes everything. And it removes the loopholes completely. So then we're left with, okay, if I'm going to love as Christ has loved me, I've got to love him back. Because the Bible says I loved him because he first loved me, which then I get this. This understanding of my desire to know Him and understand His love for me—why? Because His love for me becomes the standard by which I live out my life in everything that I do. So, if I go back to the first two commandments, because some last last time said, "Well, what what did Jesus get rid of the last two com- the first two commandments He gave uh, that day when He was speaking to uh, the group that had gathered? No, He didn't. He just condensed it because you can't do love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." Those two can't be done or or, or that those two will be done if you take the command in John 13, which is to love as Christ has loved you. And by the way, he wasn't finished because in John 13, he said, not only is it going to be the standard by which you're measured, but it's going to be the standard by which I measure the church and and people should measure the church because he said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples because you have love for another. So Jesus turned the greatest measurement of our, our relationship with him in not something to know, not something to believe, but in how we love. This is huge. Which brings us really into today's message, today's teaching. We're still on love and we're still really found the foundation of all of that is Jesus's John 13 command but we find that that Jesus's teaching was actionable. What do I mean by that? I mean that that Jesus's teaching was rooted in in a a very uh foundational understanding of it's not something to know, but it's something to know, but more importantly it's something to do. Remember later on, if you read the scriptures, you'll find in James, James, the book of James tells us to not be hearers of the word, but be ye doers also. Where did he get that idea? Well, he got it from Jesus because in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus in his very famous sermon, the most famous sermon ever written in all of scripture, the sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter five, his closing sermon. Uh, uh, his closing argument, his closing statement in in his Sermon on the Mount, which starts with the Beatitudes. If you've ever read it, go through it, you can read it. The Beatitudes, it goes through so many different aspects of of understanding who we are and understanding how we live out our life through Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. But when we get to the end of Matthew chapter 7, this is sort of the closing point of Jesus' sermon. He makes the statement. And he uses it in parable form, which is what Jesus normally did. And he says, okay, you have two different men. One built his house on the rock. One built his house on the sand. Um, And the guy on the rock, he was okay. The guy on the sand, not so good because the storm washed it away. And he says, one one was wise, one was foolish. What was the difference? What was the difference between the man that was wise and the man that was foolish? It was simply this. Now, these are not Joel, right? This is Jesus' word. Jesus quantified the difference in this way. He said, the one who was wise heard the word and did what it said. The one that was foolish heard the word. So it wasn't a fact of not hearing. It came to back to doing. And this is, if you've been following Antioch West for a while now, you'll know this is at a core of one of the central messages that God has given to us that we have been pounding away on now for literally years back into COVID. And that is we can't just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers of the word. We can't just come to church and say, okay, that was great teaching. If we're not taking that mixing with faith and applying it in our life, it profits us nothing. It's not doing anything. And there's a lot of people that hear the word, but there's very few people that do the word. And excuse me, when I say do the word, I'm not talking about do it from the religious way of, okay, I'm going to go through and check all these boxes. Doing it means asking the spirit of God of how we apply this in our life, because application is going to be a little different in most cases for all of us. How you apply today's teaching is going to be different than how someone else applies some teaching. So Jesus is teaching at its core was very actionable. If you look through this and you start to really look at it from a from a from a a wide angle lens, if you want to call it that way, you'll know that it it really all starts with and foundation, even though John 13 is at the end of the three years of Jesus' ministry, right? John 13 takes place the last week of his life. It's on Thursday. Uh he's about to be crucified the next day. He'll be resurrected by Sunday. So this is at the the final buzzer of Jesus' Uh, uh, time on earth. And he gives us this new command, but this new command was not to start something. It was a summary of everything he had taught and a foundation for everything that was to come. Because if you look at everything from a wide angle lens, you'll know that all of Jesus's teaching really hinged on this idea. For example, he talked about removing the log out of your eye before pointing out the speck in your brother's eye. That's how you love your brother. Or leaving your pigeon at the altar while you return home to make things right with your sister is how you love your sister. Or loving your enemy is loving your enemy, right? Why do I love my enemy? Why do I love those who've done done me wrong? Because he loved me when I did him wrong. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you get the point, right? Everything Jesus is giving you and I is based in this new command. But Paul takes this this foundation and he expands it throughout all of his letters in the New Testament. Paul doesn't start something new, but Paul takes the command of Jesus and gives us application in a Gentile world. Because Paul uh, did for the Gentiles, what Jesus did for the Jews and how he took the command of Jesus and applied it into their world. And not only that, applied it into their pagan world. And this is huge. So we looked through this and we saw it uh, several weeks ago when we looked at Galatians. Uh, We began to see this and you might have picked up on it, but you might have just read through it and not really realized the the connotation of what was being said. But let's go back to Paul's letter to Galatians. He said, do this, ready? You, you remember this part, right? Carry each other's burdens. This is Galatians 6, chapter 2. Carry each other's burdens. Okay, all right, let's do that. I'll carry your burden. But why? Why do I carry your burden? And Paul gives us the answer. He said, and in this way, you will fulfill the law Of Christ. That right there is huge. The law of Christ. Carrying someone's burden is how you love someone with a burden. But why should we care? Why should we carry? Because Christ carried our burden. So this goes back to this is how we're doers do. This is how follow followers follow. But he. He continues that was to, to to the church in galatia he says this to the church in ephesus he said get rid of all bitterness rage anger brawling slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another okay good advice i get that but why why do i do this why should We be kind to the unkind. Why should we be compassionate to the uncompassionate? Why should we forgive? Forgiveness is a gift to the guilty. Why? But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, just as Christ forgave you, just as Christ did all this for you, do it. Remember, Paul saying, this is how doers do. This is how followers follow. So he continues Ephesians chapter five, he says this, he says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, walk in the way of love. Okay. All right. Walk in the way of love. That sounds great. You know, all we need is love. Let's start a love train with the OJs. That's what we do, right? We're going to walk in the way of love. What's the way of love? Again, that's where we can, if we're not careful, we fall into religious rhetoric. We cut a verse In half, and we don't finish the verse, or we don't finish the thought. And so if I tell you, okay, Jesus Christ says that we're to follow him by loving one another. Okay, we're all loving one another, but are we doing it Jesus' way? Because Jesus said, love one another as he has loved us. Paul does the same thing here, because Paul says, therefore, dearly beloved, walk in the way of love. Okay, I can walk in the way of love. That's all I got to do. Walk in the way of love. No, wait a minute. There's a just as coming around the corner here. This is Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two. He says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now think about this. The way of love sounds romantic and just wonderful. And you know, the, what's that, that the old romantic song, Cupid, draw back your bow." And let your error go straight to, right? That's that's kind of we think of love, right? We think of Valentine's Day, cards, hearts, flowers, chocolates, kisses, hugs. But to think about the way of love would culminate in a naked man hanging on a tree, bloody beaten, with bodily fluids flowing out of him as he agonized for every breath that became the definition of love. Doesn't seem quite as romantic. It seems a lot more raw. It seems a lot more, if I could say it this way, not to be condescending, but it seems a lot more in your face. What I mean by that is, is that the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Is it wonderful? Is it, is it overwhelming? Of course, but it's raw. What I mean by that is, is that it's not beautiful and tied up in a wonderful bow and, and looks so pretty because we want everything. I don't know. Forgive me for saying this. I'm going to get on a five-second soapbox. This is a Joel Wright soapbox, so forgive me for a minute. I don't know why the church has gotten into so, such an attitude that everything's got to look so beautiful. Does that mean we, need to, we, need, we don't need to put our, our best foot forward? Yes, absolutely. We need to put our best foot forward. I believe doing things the best we can do. I don't think we should do things uh we should put our we should put our full effort into making things the best quality we can. However, all that being said, that's not what matters. If you consider that the Old Testament was built on the foundation of people coming to a tabernacle that was ugly on the outside, it had badger skin. It was ugly. It wasn't until you got inside that you experienced the beauty and the magnitude. When man got involved, man's like, we want this thing to look like it's incredible. But Jesus, but God, but God's plan was to make it look. Ugly on the outside, not appealing to our flesh because he wasn't trying to save us and, 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 and communicate and connect with us through appealing to our flesh. He was trying to say, if you want me, you're going to have to come in where I'm at. Well, then the same thing with Jesus Christ. When we talk about the love of Christ, it's not always beautiful and so wonderful and Jesus sitting there on a you know in a in a in a meadow with the wind blowing and flowers and birds chirping and oh it's the love of Christ when you think about the greatest expression of the love of Christ it was raw it was ugly it was brutal it was rough it was filled with blood it was filled with sacrifice it was filled with a man in agony and pain but it was the greatest expression of love because there's no Pit too deep that God's love cannot get into. There's no situation in your life that his love cannot find you. You can't make a big enough mess that his love cannot reach down into whatever mess you're in and pull you out of. I don't care what mistake you've made today. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying right now in the Holy Ghost, because some of you have already disqualified yourself from receiving the love of God because of what you've done. Or maybe, you know, somebody today that's in that same situation where you've they've they've made mistakes or they've they've had they've had some some rough stretches of life and because of that they feel like they're disqualified from the love of God. Can you tell them for me today? Can you tell them as a message of hope? There is nothing too great that God's love cannot reach into because he went to the greatest pit of despair so that his love could reach us. So we talk about the way of love. We don't get beautiful and polished and Pretty to experience god 's love he wants to find he wants your he wants to he wants to 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 get into your life right in the dirt in the muck. Remember we already quoted it while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us meaning while we were at our ugliest. think about it for a second let's just stop for a moment i, I don't want to bring shame to you that's not the point i'm I'm making today it's not a shameful Comment. I'm not asking this because I want to shame you, but I want to make a point. Think about the worst thing you've done. Think about your greatest act of sin or your worst act of sin. I don't think you can call sin the greatest act. Think about something you've done that when you did it, it brought you pain or shame, hurt you, hurt others. When I say this, there's a, I wish I could say only one comes to mind. There is a list of things that come to mind in my life. Moments of time, decisions i made. Things that I did that hurt my wife, hurt my children, hurt God. I think about these things for a moment. Think about those in your life. Think about some of those moments. Think about how you felt in those moments. Think about the, maybe the depth that you had gotten to in those moments, but I want you to in that moment, as you remember, or do you think about the, the depth of your sin, the depth of your brokenness, the depth of your hurt, the depth of your despair, but in that moment, I want you to see the cross of Jesus Christ, because it was in that moment that Christ died for you. Not sitting here today, not sitting here today with your hair done, you know, looking all nice, looking good, looking sharp, like, you know, cleaned up as the old song says, he's going to clean up what I messed up. Started my life over again. You look good now, but what were you? Where were you? He didn't die for you because of the way you look today. He died for you the way you looked at your lowest. So if you're here today and you still feel like you're at your lowest. You're not disqualified. In fact, you're qualified. You don't get cleaned up to get to God. You get to him because he's the one that cleans you up. He cleans up what you messed up. Starts it over again. Trust me. The greatest mistakes I've made in my life. Were not only what I did but were my attempts to clean up through my own humanity, what I had messed up my attempts to try to make right what I had done wrong with before truly just falling upon the, the cross of Calvary and saying, God, I've, sinned I've done wrong I've messed up and God not only I ask you to forgive me but Lord I put all of this in your hands nope nope not Joel nope nope way too smart for that all right God I know you can forgive me but I'll take care of the damage but in that attempt to take care of the damage it ended up causing more damage and so I ended up taking something that was probably was was damaging but instead of it staying there in that moment it exploded exploded like a mushroom cloud of disaster. It's kind of like, okay, best way I can describe it is it's kind of like a nuclear accident. If you remember in history, uh, it was back in, I believe it was the, was it the eighties or nineties? I thought it was the eighties. Maybe it was the nineties. There was an accident in Ukraine and a nuclear power plant called Chernob- Chernobyl, If you've, maybe you don't know much of the story, maybe you've heard the name, um, It's now brought back into our attention because of the war that's happening right now in Ukraine. Uh, There was concern that there may be another uh, nuclear accident there in the Chernobyl uh, area. But I know someone personally that was living in a neighboring country to the accident. They weren't even near Chernobyl. But what happened was when the nuclear explosion took place, it created a radioactive cloud that began to spread over parts of Europe. They happened to be in the part of Europe that was affected by this cloud. And because of that, they have suffered significant health problems. Uh, now, some 20 years later, 20, 30 however long it's been. Sometimes I, that's how I feel like my life has gone. And maybe your life as well, where, you know, you have a, a nuclear explosion, or a nuclear meltdown your reactor melts down in a moment of weakness in a moment of temptation in a moment of anger in a moment of human emotion whatever it must be and 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 that's a problem but what happens is when we don't allow the love of god to to create a now if you go to chernobyl they built a uh, they've built a concrete dome over the entire structure That is thick enough to keep the radioactive fallout contained inside this concrete dome. That's what the love of God does. It creates this cocoon by which it can... It doesn't eliminate our mistakes, but the love of God can cocoon our mistakes and cover our mistakes because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. But the problem is when we don't accept his love because we feel like we have to earn it, we have to deserve it, we have to go out there and do good in order to receive it. What we do is we not only have to deal with the fallout of the nuclear explosion in our life, but then we've got to deal about the, 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 after effects of this radioactive cloud of mistake that starts to mushroom out into the days and years to come. And so that's why some of you are still dealing with, I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know how we got on nuclear and Chernobyl, but God's trying to bring the reality to someone today is the fact is if you would let him he can take care of the damage but because you're trying to take care of the damage by by your own strength your own way you're now dealing with the mushroom cloud of the aftermath that has now crept into your today's life even though that accident was years ago that 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 event took place maybe months ago years ago maybe decades ago you're still dealing with it now because you have not allowed the love of God to embrace you to cover you to forgive you and to cocoon Your hurt, your mistakes. So now you're dealing with the aftermath of that. So when you think about the love of Christ, the way of love, this is the way of love. The way of love is raw. We've got to get raw. We've got to get exposed to say, okay, if Jesus Christ hung naked on a cross, exposed, that's how he loved me. That's the standard. Then I need to get exposed. I need to get raw. I need to get open and say, okay, God, here's everything. Because you already know it anyways. You already know it. You know everything. You never thought. You never, you never, every, every single thing that happens in me, you know it all. So here's the point though. As we get into Paul's teaching, he continues to give us application. He goes back to this law of Christ, the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is found in John 13 to love one another as Christ has loved us. So by this shall men know you're my disciples that you have loved one another one for another. This is Paul's law of Christ. And if you do if you look at this both Jesus's and Paul's instructions and the imperatives are simply applications of this single command given to us in John chapter 13. Now we can bait we can debate what it looks like to love people the way Christ loves us, but we don't get to decide whether to love others the way Christ loved us. That's already decided and it's already been modeled for us and Paul has already prescribed to us what that looks like because the law of Christ informs our conscience and stands guard over our hearts and our mouths and really if we allow if we allow if we fully embrace the law of Christ the law of Christ should govern our responses it should govern our actions our reactions our priorities The law of Christ is how followers, followers, and doers do. And when we allow the law of Christ to work in our life, it compels us in situations to pause and ask questions like this. What would it look like to love this person, these people, the way that Christ loved me? Or about, how about this one? What would a Christ-like response look like, sound like, This is more than the WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's awesome. But this takes that to another level because not just what Jesus would do, but it's what his love to me requires me to do. It's not just, oh, let me try to act like and mimic Jesus. It's wait a minute. I'm doing this not because I'm trying to imitate Christ. I'm doing this because it's my command and given to me because of what he's done for me. Therefore, I must do like he's done for me. That's why I can say, how can I put this person first? Or what would it look like in this situation to go to the back of the line, prefer your brother over you? What does that look like? (coughs) Why? (coughs) Excuse me. Because that's what Christ did for me. But it's impossible to cover every love scenario by question. So here's the way to summarize this. When you're not sure what to say or do, Asked, what does love require of you? If you went throughout this week with one question on your mind in every situation you come across this week. If this one question was your guiding question throughout the week, not what would Jesus do? That's awesome. You can do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. Not, okay, how do I live out my faith? How can I believe more? How can I do all? What if your one question for this week was what does love require of me? When you get up in the morning, how do you start your day? Well, I know you, we got, you know, brush your teeth, comb your hair, maybe take a shower, get dressed for the day. I get those things. But if I said to you today, do you get up in the morning? Do you pray? I'm not saying how long you should pray. I'm not saying it needs to be an hour. I'm not saying it's got to be at four in the morning, but do you start your day by acknowledging him? So I can tell you today, I can say, okay, you need to do these things because it's the word of God. And the Bible says, seek you first, the kingdom of God and all, and, and, and all these things shall be added unto you. And, and you need to put God first because you know, you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and you got to put him at the top. Okay. Yeah, you do. But see that, that puts us under pressure when we go that direction, that attitude can produce performance. It can produce a desire to check off a box because, okay, I got to put God first. Okay, God, I start my day and therefore you're first in my life. So God, I give you today, yada, 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 I go down the box. got that done. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm past that. But what if you got up in the first question you ask yourself while you're still opening your eyes and you're, you're starting to, to, to. Pull yourself up to the side of the bed before your feet hit the ground. What if your first question was, what does love require of me today? Because then if you look at it that way, you know, that love requires you to go back to the one who loved you first. To start your day by the one who loved you first. It's not a demand. It's a compelling. It's not a, it's not a pushing towards. It's a pulling to. It's a different telling you, you need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go here. You need to act like this. You don't need to do this. You don't need. That's a, that's a pushing. That's a, and you're going to go through your list. Okay. I'm going to do that. What if we just eliminate all that and say, okay, what if you just simplified it to one single thing today? What does love require of me? What if that was the ethos for every thing you watched, everything you listened to, Everything you did to others, whether it's in your work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your place of leisure, what does love require? What does his love to me require of me? How would that change? Think about it. Think about some scenarios from last week that you encountered. How would those scenarios and your behavior have changed if you would have approached it from the lens of what does love require of me? How would your marriage change? If you looked at your spouse and instead of saying, okay, I've got to do these things, it was what's love require of me in this marriage or as a parent or as an employer or as an employee. What does love require of me? You see, that's a compelling statement because as I look at that, it takes me to the imagery of my innocent savior hanging brutally beaten, naked, ashamed on a tree. And when I look at that definition of love, there is nothing that is required of me that is too hard So that's why when I say Paul's application guide of the law of Christ is no loopholes. There's no loopholes. There are no loopholes. This is why Paul makes the statement in Galatians, you read it, but in Galatians chapter five, as he's sort of hammering home some of the frustration he has, he says the entire law, this is Galatians chapter five verse fourteen. He said the entirety of the law can be can be can be fulfilled in keeping this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. He wasn't making up a a new thing. He was going back to Jesus's John thirteen command. He says, "Okay, I'm going to summarize everything. Everything can be done by this one thing." He's not saying we only have to do one thing. He knows in order to do that one thing, you've got to do everything. But his way of getting to that was let's just make it easy. One thing. Let me help you remember everything. You don't have to remember 613 laws. You don't have to remember a list of creeds and doctrines and ideologies and thought processes. Let's just get down and remember one thing. Here's what's one thing. It can be filled, and it's one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa, I can't love my neighbor as myself if I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. However, Jesus said, let's just make it easy. Love one another as I have loved you. Because later on, it says, how can I love my brother who ha- haven't have seen? How can I love God who I haven't seen if I can't love my brother who I have seen? So again, this entirety of scripture is based in the single command that Jesus gives us. And Paul makes the statement to the Galatian church who's in this transition from religion to relationship, who's now dealing with the, these, as Paul calls them, agitators that he said in Galatians 5.12, he wished that they would just go away. He had a little stronger language, but that was the summarization of it. It would just go away. I wish they would go away. He said, because it's all all about one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's just get down to it. But this is the thing that even takes it further. And this is extreme. And it's so extreme. You might even be tempted to pull out your own Bible today and see if I'm right. But read it. Because Paul says this for in Christ which is Paul's shorthand for in this new covenant this new new place we're living in in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value circumcision was old was was shorthand for old covenant or in the case of uh, of the Galatians religious ideology this was this is what he was making a statement of How much saving value does that have? None. How much can that change you? None. But the next statement is the showstopper. The next statement is the thing that changes everything. Again, Paul brings it back to Jesus's John 13 command. He said this in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is this express is faith expressing itself through love. Seriously, Paul, the only thing that counts—the only thing that counts—is faith expressing itself through love. Really, that's it? Maybe he meant. Maybe it was a miss, miss, Maybe the Bible was have an error. Maybe he missed it out. Maybe he said this is the one of the things that counts. But another translation stated it this way: It says, "Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love means everything. Everything." Everything. The defining characteristic of the old covenant was circumcision, but the defining characteristic of the new covenant, the covenant you and I are living in is faith expressing itself through love. What circumcision was to the old faith in love is to the new. Think about that. Circumcision was Invisible to the public. It was something that was covered up. It was once and done, all males, decided by the parents, but the mark of the new covenant was visible in public. The mark of the new covenant involved daily decisions. It wasn't gender specific, it was an all skate. And it didn't require surgery, but it was equally, if not more, painful. Because love requires sacrifice, and sacrifice is always painful, but notice this we're at the end here. Paul did not say the only thing that matters is faith that's the that's the version of Christianity that I grew up with that's the version of Christianity most of us are familiar with. The only thing that matters is faith, and faith without love fuels our vertical morality. And what I mean by that, it fuels this idea that we get caught up in this religious service to the vertical without any any thought process to the horizontal. Faith that doesn't feel obligated to express itself through love expresses itself through, you ready? Manufactured religious routines. Faith Disconnected from love leads to legalism. It leads to an eye to the sky, vertical morality that doesn't concern itself with loving others. And unfortunately, many of us have lived there, been there, got the t-shirt, stayed way too long. Paul said the mark of the new covenant is simply this. It's faith expressing itself, working itself out through love. This is it. That's why love is our priority. I know it sounds silly to say this, but all we need is love. Now, love doesn't mean we don't have um, measurements in our life. Love doesn't mean, well, okay, God loves me. Therefore I can do whatever I want because he loves me. No, that's what, that's the perversion of love. I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids, but I don't let them get away with anything, everything. I don't let them do every, you know, I don't let them do whatever they want. There are things in there. There are measurements we have in, in this home for our children. There's responsibilities. There's things we require of them. We expect of them. There are things when their behavior we don't approve of, but we love them. So love doesn't mean that God will approve everything you do that it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. He will love you, but he doesn't always approve of you. But everything comes down to the priority of making love the priority. And not just this ambiguous idea of love, but defining what that really means. And you can't define what love really means unless you define it by John 13. That's what love is. Love is defined by John 13. Love is love in action because Christ has loved us. I end today with this. It's in your notes for those of you that I get your notes today, but I want to read you this story because I think it illustrates all of what we're saying in a real world scenario. In November of 2021, the justice department announced a settlement with the families of those who were fatally shot in the 2015 Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. No doubt if you paid attention, you remember that horrific racially motivated mass shooting. Nine African American parishioners were gunned down by a avowed white supremacist during a Bible study. Of these nine, there was a state senator and the church's senior pastor. Sadly, today, most mass shootings don't garner the attention or outrage they once did. We've become somewhat desensitized by the sheer volume, but not this one. As horrific as the murders were, what transpired in the courthouse two years later is what really took our breath away. During the sentencing of Dylan Roof, Survivors and relatives of the victims could speak directly to him. The man who had murdered their family members and friends and then laughed and bragged about it later, one by one, they stood before this monster and forgave the man who had gunned down their loved ones because of the color of their skin. But one man in particular stood out. His name was Anthony Thompson, whose wife... Myra was shot and killed at point blank range. He looked at his wife's murderer in the eye and said this. Now get this. I forgive you and my family forgives you. But would we, what, but what we would like to take, but we would like to take this opportunity, forgive me, to ask you to repent, to repent, to confess and give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. Pause for a second on that. Think about that. This is the guy who's facing his wife's cold blooded murderer. And he asked Dylan Roof to make a decision that, according to Thompson's way of thinking as a Christian, would allow Dylan Roof to share heaven with the folks he murdered. Including his wife. Are you kidding? I mean, I, no, no offense. A better explanation would be, I hope you rot in hell. That's probably more appropriate. But he's asking this guy to seek forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you. Find Jesus so that you can share in the same heaven as the people you murdered, including my wife. Are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. Think about that. No doubt. That had to be an absolutely all inspiring moment in that courtroom. The posture that Mr. Thompson embraced went far beyond what was expected. He reached beyond what the law required. He wasn't being a good citizen. He wasn't even being a good Christian. He was following Jesus, but he wasn't finished. He said this. We would like to take this opportunity to ask you to confess and give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. And this is what he says. So he can change you. He can change your ways no matter what has happened to you. And you, this is his final statement and you, you will be okay. There's not much more that can be said after that. That's breathtaking on multiple levels. What a Christ-like example. If Jesus can forgive you and Anthony Thompson can forgive Dylan, Roof, what's our excuse? That's why asking what does love require me is the greatest question because it no loopholes. That's what truly living the law of Christ is all about. That's why if we need to make anything our priority, we need to make love our priority. It was Paul's priority. It was John's priority. Go read it. Their whole entire letters were filled with love because it was Christ's identity. God is. In fact, it was such that when John surmised who God was, he simply said, God is love. He doesn't love. He is love. If love is our priority, then God is our priority. And if God is our priority, Jesus is our priority because Jesus and God are the same. So if Jesus is a priority, we can't separate Jesus from love. So when I say love is priority, it's not bypassing things. It's focusing on what really matters. The law of Christ in our lives.